Do you ever wonder if living in the Bay Area is slowly killing your soul? A couple weeks ago when we had the heat wave and the fires and the smoke, I remember going outside one morning and I was expecting uh, fresh air, but instead it just felt like I was stepping into a campfire furnace and this wave of debilitating discouragement came over me as I just started thinking, Man, I just, I just want to get away from this place. The smoke, the fires, the heat, the COVID, the shelter in place. I, I want to go to a place where the air is clear and the weather is cool and I can go to a restaurant and my kids can go to school and not be on their Zoom classes all day. I would just love to get out of this choking place that it seems like we're in. Now, I think all of us can agree that this has been a season that's been hard to live in the place that we live. You know, you're probably sitting in your living room right now, and so I'm totally comfortable saying, show of hands, how many of us have thought about moving in the last six months? Because I bet if we were in the auditorium all together, a lot of hands would go up because a lot of us have wrestled with, God, why <laughs> have you called me or asked me or allowed me to, to exist in this place that's been so difficult in a season like this? I think all of us can agree that there's a, a strong link between our own personal vitality and the place in which we live. And I think about folks who live in the Pacific Northwest or have moved there recently, and they talk about the cloudy skies and the rain and the gloomy days and the real effect that the environment that they live in has on their well-being. They're discouraged, they're sad, they feel confined, they miss the sun, they feel like something's missing in their lives because the geography and weather of their region is eking the life out of them. Living here in the Bay Area, we know that it's a pretty unique place on planet Earth to live, right? Beyond COVID and the fires and all the stuff we've been experiencing the last several weeks, it's a unique place when it comes to the politics and the worldview and the government connection with the people and all these things we've been wrestling with. And being a Christian here, especially or specifically here in the Bay Area, sometimes makes us wonder, why am I paying so much money to live in a place that's becoming increasingly difficult? difficult to live a life that feels free, that feels the way that I want or imagine myself living. And we're in a series called One Kingdom where we're exploring who are the people of God and what are they meant to be like and what is their relationship supposed to look like with the outside world. I think one of the things about this series that is going to be most helpful and impactful for us to wrestle with is Living in a place that's not a very Christian place by nature is kind of difficult for a people who are called, like we talked about last week, to be set apart as God's people, his community of faith. And so I want to look at a text of scripture today that can help us wrestle with what our life as Christians is supposed to look like when we live in a world that is increasingly hostile or at the very least different um, from the faith that God calls us to adhere to as his people. So if you've got your Bibles today, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look at a familiar passage. You probably memorized Jer Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which is that positive part that says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But today I want to take a, a hard look at the 10 verses that come before Jeremiah 29, 11, where God tells these people that, that you're about to have to hunker down and live in this difficult environment, this place called Babylon, for a long, long time. 
And God's people had been exiled into the city and they were getting some news from some prophets and people claiming to speak for God saying, don't unpack your bags. You're not going to be here too long. God's going to rescue us. God's going to deliver us. We'll be out of Babylon before we know it. But then God shows up in Jeremiah 29 and says, actually, uh, for the next 70 years, you're going to need to make your residence in this place that is very hostile to your faith, that's very different than what you're used to, and that doesn't feel like home. And so like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I want to encourage you, even right now as we dive in, to adopt a posture of humility as we encounter the text of Scripture today. Because as we look at this text, I want to challenge us why we should not move away from a region that feels like is hostile and detrimental to the life that God has called us to live. Now, I don't want to diminish the fact that this has been a really hard six months to live in the Bay Area and in the world in general. I was thinking back, like I do all the time since March, we've had COVID, we had a stock market crash, we had shelter in place and lockdowns, we had issues of racial injustice and protests and riots, we had wildfires and smoke, we had schools starting online, we've had so much. I keep wondering, is this the last thing? Is this the last thing? Is this the last thing? In fact, last week I was reading in the Old Testament about the story of Elijah who found himself in a cave waiting to hear from God and God shows up and, or an earthquake shows up and uh, we see that God was not in the earthquake, right? A storm, a wind shows up, God is not in a wind. Then the fire shows up and God is not in the fire. And then the text tells us that after the fire, God finally showed up and began to speak. And as we were in the midst of this wildfire uh, season at the beginning of it, I started thinking, okay, maybe this is it, right? Maybe the wildfires are going to come and when the fire is over, then God will open his mouth and speak to us again and lead us into greener pastures. And I was, I was telling the story to someone the other day and, and they said, you know what, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not too optimistic that this is all going to end after the wildfires because I think our story is after the wildfires, the election season begins. And I think that's going to be another season of division and divisiveness and chaos in our community. It seems like... In this place where we live, it's just one thing after another. And I think the question that comes up for us as believers, as we live in a place that, that is in the forefront of all of this, when you look at the news, California comes up all the time. The West Coast comes up all the time. The coasts in general comes up all the time. We live in a very different place even than most of our country. And so the question that should be on our minds and might be on your mind right now is, why would God call me and my family to hunker down and live in a place like this? Now, the truth is, the Bay Area is a very difficult place to raise our kids, isn't it? When we think about the worldview that's permeating our culture, we think about the, the house prices that we exist here, we think about the idea of raising kids and grandkids in a place like this, and thinking, how are my kids going to afford to live here? How are my grandkids going to afford to live here? It's just everything, as I imagine life, is, is increasingly difficult to put down roots for generations in a place that seems like is getting harder and harder and harder to live. As we look at the text of Jeremiah 29, we, we see that there's a, a couple of compounding factors that show why this is such a difficult season for the people of Israel who have been exiled to Babylon. Now, the first thing we see as we look at Jeremiah 29 is this idea that they've been carried there by a pagan king, this man named Nebuchadnezzar. And we see as we look at Jeremiah chapter 29, I think that's just even there in verse one, it says Nebuchadnezzar carried them into this place. And we see that they're in this distinct season of suffering. 
And they're there because there was a war that came into their region, that this foreign power, Babylon, came and started taking in waves the people of God away into this pagan land. And in a lot of ways, this is a season in the history books of the world that's kind of normal. Right? Wars happen. POWs happen. Seasons of these types of depraved moments happen. And all of us, as we live in the history of the world, go through these different seasons where, not in a good way, but in a natural way, suffering just comes along uh, um, among a people. Right? We looked at the history of pandemics recently, and we realized we're in one of those seasons. Right? A pandemic flows through the earth, and all of a sudden, all of us are encountering this disease together. In California, we've got this new term of wildfire season. Right? And so now we're in this season where suffering comes on us. And so if you're in a place that you want to move because of the season that we're living in, let me just encourage you, first of all, don't move because of the season. It's just a season, and seasons are natural. Now, there are times where real hardship comes upon a region. We, we think about uh, the Depression in the 1930s in America. We think about different seasons of, of poverty sweeping through areas of our nation. We think about droughts that we've experienced before. There are these natural things or these human things or these terrible things or these epidemic things that come upon life and we can enter into seasons of suffering. You know, one of the things that brought me discouragement but kept me from moving in the past six months is whenever I imagine moving out of California to a place that's a little more easy to navigate in COVID-19, I realize, you know what? Everyone's experiencing this right now. Our whole globe, our whole country in different waves and in different ways are experiencing a season of suffering together. And so one of the reasons that God's people are suffering in this time in Jeremiah 29 is because you're experiencing a season of suffering in the history of the world among the history of God's people. And yet as we look at the text, we see that, that something deeper and harder is happening in the midst of this. That yes, they were carried into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, but now as we look at uh, down a few verses at verse 4 and verse 5 of the text, uh, God starts saying, actually, you're in Babylon because I carried you there. You know, sometimes in this world we experience seasons of suffering, but other times, like we see in this text, God is saying, you're experiencing a season of judgment as well. And God says, I've taken you into Babylon because you're being punished for some sins that you've committed. You're in this season, you'll be in this season for the next 70 years because I'm bringing judgment on my people who did not turn to me earlier. God's people are not just experiencing a natural season of suffering, they're also experiencing a supernatural season of suffering. And we see in this text that multiple things are coming at them, that they are in Babylon, not just as a natural consequence of wars on this planet, but they're in this foreign place because they're being judged for the sins that they've committed. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but in this season that we've lived in here in the Bay, I've wondered sometimes, is all of this that's happening to our world, is all of this that's happening to our nation, is all of this that's happening even to our region, judgment from God for sins that we've committed or people who have not repented or things that we've done wrong? And God is not clear, he has not spoken, he has not sent us a prophet to tell us what he is doing. And yet, as we look at the text of scripture, we realize that that's a distinct possibility, that sometimes suffering comes into this world as judgment from the hand of God. And I've talked to a lot of people recently who that's the very reason they want to move out of the Bay Area. 
They say we're living in a place that looks like Romans 1 that's getting harder and harder and harder against the gospel. Their hearts are hardening like we talked about in this first, in this first week of the series that people here in this region are turning from God in droves and for that reason God's judgment is coming on us and we're experiencing all this hardship and I gotta get out before the lightning comes down. I've talked to so many people lately who, who wanna move to Idaho for some reason. I haven't researched it. I don't know what's going on in Idaho and if that's you, you can email me and tell me, please don't email me and tell me, I've gotten enough emails. But all these people, they wanna move away to a place where they have freedom, where they can do what they want, where COVID's not as rampant or whatever it is, where it matches their politics. Whatever the reason is, they wanna escape from this place because it feels like because of the suffering, maybe because of the judgment of God, the Bay Area is becoming increasingly difficult. And the folks who've talked to me about moving away, whether it's to the Pacific Northwest or to Idaho or to Canada or to Hawaii or wherever people want to move, they say, you know what? Just feels like God has left the Bay Area. And so if God's not here, I want to go too. You know, as I look at this text, I, I want to make it very clear that that God has not left the, the Israelites in Jeremiah 29. We don't see any indication of that. We, we don't see any, any indication that God has forsaken his people. Oh, we don't see that them going to Babylon is God abandoning them. In fact, all the things in this text that we see is evidence that God is actually working. He's just working in a way that's making life really hard. I want to encourage you, if you're someone who's considering moving or leaving or you're discouraged because you feel like God is not at work, you've got to understand even with bad things that we experience, God is at work. God is at work when he brings judgment. God is at work when he allows suffering. God is at work when the world is falling apart. God has a plan even in the midst of all of this. And, and in Jeremiah's case, as he speaks to the people on behalf of God, he even gives them a glimpse into the heart of God in the midst of all this. He says in verse 10, 11, he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you. I'll fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God says, I'm at work. I'm playing the long game here. I've placed you here for a reason. I'm going to bring you out of it in a few generations. But for now, I want you to hunker down and put down roots in this place because you're going to be here for a while. And we see in verse five, he says, build houses settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. You kind of sense that God is kind of lengthening the timeline, right? Put a foundation on your house and put up the walls, plant a garden, and in the next couple of years, you'll eat some produce. Uh, then he says after that, marry, have some kids, have some sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, right? Now we're talking decades. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. God says, unpack your bags, <laughs> You're going to be in Babylon for a while. And so get used to living life in this foreign place. You know, I know that's probably not encouraging to you, right? You're probably thinking, well, okay, I'm going to move. All right, 70 years is a long time. I don't know if I want to raise my kids and my grandkids here. And I, I can't imagine how it would feel to be someone who's hearing Jeremiah's words, right? All these other prophets had come and tried to give them this false hope that this suffering is only going to last a little while. But then Jeremiah comes and speaks for the Lord who says, those prophets are wrong. They will be judged. The truth is it's going to be hard to live in this region for the next 70 years. But this is the place where I'm trying to plant you. 
I think all of us need to wrestle with if this is the place that God is trying to plant us, even if it's hard. I can't imagine being someone who's hearing a word from the Lord that this place that they were praying would just be a short blip is a place they're going to spend the next 70 years and they might not even live to go back to their homeland. I know a lot of us have vision of what our life will look like. Some of you right now are planning to move out of California as soon as possible. Some of you are looking at retirement and saying, where are we going to go to escape this place? Some of you are looking at your kids and saying, okay, I'm going to raise my kids, see where they settle, then I'll follow them and get out of this place. Some of you are thinking, there is no way that my grandkids are all going to be in this place. I've got to set my family up for success for the long term. Some of you are on Zillow right now instead of listening to my message and you're looking up beautiful homes around the country and thinking, this is what money can do in other places. I got to get out. And you're hearing a message from the scriptures that may or may not apply to you specifically, where God says, I know that it's hard. It's hard for a reason. I have a plan. And I want you to devote yourself to putting down roots for the next several generations in a place that is absolutely hostile to your faith. As we look at this text, I feel like the the biggest thing that we feel pretty quickly is discouragement. If you're wrestling with what God might be saying to you right now, maybe that's the emotion that you're feeling. And, and yet I think it's one of the things in this text that we glaze over a lot as we're reading through what God is saying to these people is a glimpse that he gives us of the why. And if we look at this text where he's telling them what's going to happen over the next several years, building houses, planting gardens, marrying people, having kids, having grandkids, all of that. Uh, then he moves down after that and he starts giving a, a little bit of the reason of why he wants them to live in this place. And he doesn't say, I want you to do all this because you need to experience the the lengthiness of your suffering. He doesn't say the reason I want you to raise generations here is because it's a, a great place to raise kids. He doesn't say the reason I want you to hunker down is because I'm mad at you. He says, do all these things. And at the end of it, he throws in this other phrase. He says, increase in number, do not decrease. Increase in number, do not decrease. And in this short little phrase, I feel like we can wrap it back into what God just said and start to imagine what he's saying differently. And I think at first reading, we, we read through these phrases and I feel like God is saying, we're going to do this and this and this, like hammering down punishment on them. But it seems like God is actually saying, listen, I, I'm going to help you to raise a household here. I'm going to help you to raise a garden here. I'm going to help you to raise a family here. I'm going to help your family to raise a family here. And we're going to start populating this place. And before you know it, 70 years from now, this pagan, terrible place is going to be absolutely filled with my people. I think the first reading we have of this text is that God has put us in a terrible place to judge us and punish us. But when God says, no, this is why I want you to spend 70 years here, he gives him a glimpse of an alternative vision, which is that I am placing you for generations in this pagan land because I want to fill this country with men and women and kids and grandkids who are worshipers of the true God. And God gives them this beautiful glimpse of a place that is filled with his people. He says, right now you might feel like a minority. Right now you might feel like there's no one like you in this country. Right now you might feel like you're brand new to this place where there's people from all different walks of life and everyone's hostile about your faith and you don't know which way is up and you're such a foreigner here. But God says 70 years from now, as you continue plugging away in this land in which I've placed you and you follow me in this place, I am going to fill this place with my people and the world will be different 
because my followers will have permeated every aspect of this region. Now, I, I don't know from this text whether God is calling you to leave California and stay. I, I, I'm not going to assume that. I think God calls you to live wherever God calls you to live. But, but my challenge for you as we think about these concepts is to take where you reside very seriously. Now, if you're just thinking you want to go move to an easier place or you want to go move to a more Christian place, let me tweak your thinking a little bit. Move to whatever place God is calling you to come and bring his glory to that place. Now, the truth is, if you feel like you want to leave the bay because there's not a lot of Christians here, if you and your family leave the bay, there's one less family of followers of Jesus here. And on the converse of that, if you put down roots in this place, and you raise your kids in this place, and you raise your grandkids in this place, all of a sudden, in the next few generations, hundreds of people, as your family ripples out into the world, hundreds of people will be followers of Christ because of you in this place. As we look at this text, the, the thing that I think that God wants to say to us is that we should stop merely thinking about how the darkness of our world will impact our faith and start thinking about how God might want to use our faith to push back the darkness of the world in which he's placed us. You know, God says a couple things to us about what it might look like to bring life to the place in which he's placed us. And the first we've already alluded to, it seems like God puts his people in a foreign place, in a pagan place, in a place that's far from God in a lot of ways to increase the spiritual vitality of that place. This idea of increasing in number and not decreasing, taking on more Christians throughout the place is, is the Great Commission, right? That's why we exist. We want to fill the East Bay with worshipers of Jesus Christ. We want people to come to know him in our workplace, in our families, in our communities. You know, as we think about God's vision for the Israelites as they move into Babylon, we see that it's even more centered around their personal families. Now, there's this vision that we can see in this text that maybe the most impactful thing that you will ever do for the kingdom of God is to have a ton of grandkids who are followers of Jesus. This is how we change the tides of history is through our own families and through our own lineage. This is one of the primary ways that God works so that we increase the spiritual vitality, the spiritual wholeness of the place in which we live. And as we look at this text, we see that God doesn't stop there. We see this picture of his people taking over. But then he says, as he moves on from there, he says, increase in number, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. God does not merely call his people to, to raise the spiritual water level of Babylon, but God calls his people to raise the social vitality of the region. Now this word peace and prosperity is the word shalom in Hebrew and the English Standard Version, it's the word welfare. It's this idea that as God's people move into a region, one thing that they do is they start weaving the fabric of society back together again. And like we talked about the first week, God has created us to fill the world with his glory, but sin breaks apart the fabric of this world. And one of the reasons that God places us in a place like the East Bay is so that we might be weaving the fabric of the East Bay back together again. Right? These are issues in the scriptures that often we refer to as social justice issues, where we look at homelessness and say, how can we raise the water level of health in our housing issues? We look at issues like racial inequity. How can we step into this place and reweave society back together again? We, we think about issues like foster care or fatherlessness and say, okay, how can we as God's people start bringing children into our homes and changing the vitality of this place? Because our presence in this place is not merely to make more Christians, but, but God says also 
Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Seek the shalom of the region. Bring up the general welfare of this place. And as my people live as my people, the world will become a more just and equitable world. I remember a story uh, that I heard a little while ago about a, a community that decided that they wanted to build a school. And instead of making the school ADA compliant, they decided to make the school actually ADA optimized, right? For folks who have disabilities. And so normally, obviously, you do things like the ramps and the elevators and these things for folks who are, have mobility impairments and all that. But they said, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. We're gonna build from the ground up this school uh, with folks who are disabled in mind. And so they did simple things like choosing the colors of the classroom that provide good contrast for folks who are trying to interpret sign language. They took out all the horizontal blinds so folks weren't squinting, but they can see the hands and gestures and even read the lips of their professors. They changed the fabric of the hallways to dampen the noise. They made long curving corners with glass walls so they can see folks who are coming towards them and not be jarred if they were visually impaired. They thought of all these different ways that they can make this a school that is so beautiful for someone who has mobility impairments or visual impairments or hearing impairments or learning disabilities, all of these different things. And they built this school from the ground up to optimize it for folks uh, who, who have special needs of, of several kinds. And, and the thing that they learned as they opened the doors to the school was the school was actually a better place for everybody. The hallways were a more pleasant place for everybody to walk down. The classrooms were easier on the eyes of all students. The place that they had built was actually a beautiful place, aesthetically, acoustically, visually, in every way. The school was a better place because they built it with all people in mind. I think we see a glimpse of this as we look at the last phrase that Jeremiah brings us here after he tells us to seek the peace and prosperity of the place in which he's placed us. He says, pray to God for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's this reminder that as the world becomes a better place, the world becomes a better place for you too. Well, as we look at this text, I just want to leave you with a couple of challenges that I see as we look at Jeremiah chapter 29 about life in the bay. And you could take it or leave it, right? Write these things down, pray about it later. You don't have to do it right now. But let me give you challenge number one, just based on this text. Challenge number one is this, unpack your boxes. Uh, you who have one foot out the door, you who are trying to move to Idaho, you who are trying to move to a more whatever it is, a place that fits with your political ideologies or a place where there's more Christians around or a place that's more comfortable or a place where your standard of life is better, whatever it is, unpack your boxes, hunker down and devote yourself to raising the spiritual and social water level of this place that God has called us to transform for his kingdom unpack your boxes, right? This is what we see is the challenge to these people. He says, you're gonna be here a while. I get it, you've got freedom to leave. If God leads you to leave, go ahead, right? But my challenge for you is stick around. Let's see what God does as we devote ourselves to his kingdom together in this place over the next generations. I've told you my, my prayer for my life over the next 30 years that I live and as I serve here at this church is that God would root me in a place that is most likely to bear fruit for generations of faith for my family and for the ministry here at the church. Uh, my, my vision for my life is a long-term vision where God will do things immeasurably more after generation and generation as people learn to follow him. Now, I don't know if that means that God's gonna keep me here forever. Who knows, right? We need to go where God leads us. But if God has not left, led you from this place, unpack your boxes, hunker down in this place. That's your challenge number one. And challenge number two is this, 
as it comes to life in the Bay and your posture as a Christian living here, let me encourage you this, let me challenge you this. Stop complaining and start praying. Now this is what we see. I'm not gonna say a lot about this because Jeremiah doesn't too. We see this in verse seven. <laughs> Jeremiah just says, pray to the Lord for it. Right, there's something you don't like about the Bay, pray. There's something you don't like about your neighborhood, pray. There's something you don't like about your city, pray. There's something about you don't like about your leaders, your president, your governor, pray to God for it. Stop complaining and start praying, right? This is what we see in the book of, I think it's 1 Timothy, where Paul says, I want you to teach men to do this. Raise up holy hands in prayer without arguing, right? Close your mouths and open your hearts and bring your request to the Lord. Stop, stop complaining and start praying. And third and last, the challenge I have for you uh, is this, get to work humbly fixing whatever grieves you about the place where God has planted you. Now, if you don't like the homelessness in the community that you live, stop complaining, get to work, fix it, right? And fixing it is not kicking out the homeless. Fixing it is figuring out, okay, God, how might you use me, your image bearer, to bring the kingdom into this city, to bring justice into this world, to bring equity into this place, to bring relief to folks, to bring food to the hungry, whatever it is, right? Get to work, fixing whatever ails you. I think the world would be a much better place if Christians started taking all the stuff that irritated, that irritated them as signs that God was convicting them to change the world in which they play, as he's placed them. So if God has caused something to distress you, caused something to break your heart, caused something to give you angst, caused something to make you angry, get to work. Bring justice, bring equity, bring the spiritual water level up in the region in which he's placed you. And there's a chance that thinking through these concepts is either going to cause you to step into something new or it's going to breathe new life into something you're already doing. Right? Maybe you need to become a social worker to start helping folks who are marginalized within our region. Maybe you need to bring some foster kids into your home and start providing uh, fathers and mothers to the fatherless and motherless. Or maybe God is calling you to step into something new and serving with our ministry to folks who are underprivileged or have no homes to live in. Or maybe God is calling you to do something different with your life, with your finances, with your time. At the same time, maybe God is calling you to rethink the things that you are already doing, right? To build the business that you run with Christian principles, with equity and justice in the workplace, to be a place that is an image of God's kingdom, even as folks come to work. Maybe God's calling you to treat your patients in a way that brings them dignity in life or find ways that you can incorporate your spiritual beliefs into the place where you live and thrive. Or maybe God's called you to use your post as a teacher to bring justice into the classroom, to find ways that you can help kids find the Lord. Who knows what it is? I just want us all to realize that God has placed us in this place because he wants us to get to work, bringing the kingdom of God into this beautiful region that he's placed us in for the time that he's placed us in today. Now, who knows, right? As you start to get to work and build God's kingdom in the place where he's placed you, Maybe this place that has been draining your soul will start to bring life to you instead as you see God's kingdom emerge in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your community. I know this is a lot to think about, so let me pray for us, reflect on this later. And if you need to move, you can move. But if you want to stay, let's do this together. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and humility as we think through the life that you've called us to live. 
We think of Paul's speech in Athens where he reminds us that you have appointed the times and the places where each of us should live, that you've marked out the nations and set out the boundaries of the lands of all people, that you are sovereign over our geography and residence. And Lord, let us not take that for granted. If we are here, wherever here is, you've placed us here for a reason. If we are to move, it's because you are calling us to move. So let us be people first and foremost that invite you into those conversations and let us not move unless you say go and let us not stay unless you say stay and let us take the picture of wherever we are as this image that God has placed me here and he's placed me here for a reason. We pray that you would give us glimpses of what that reason is. We pray that we would see opportunities this week to raise the spiritual water level of wherever you've placed us. We'd see opportunities this week to start reweaving the social fabric of wherever you've placed us. Let us be people who increase in number. Let this Bay Area be filled with worshipers of Jesus Christ and let us seek the peace and the prosperity of our cities, of our regions, of the Eden area, of San Leandro, San Lorenzo, Hayward, Castro Valley, Union City, Fremont, wherever we are, of the East Bay, of the Bay of California, wherever we are, let us seek the peace and the prosperity. And Lord, as we seek the peace and prosperity of this place and as we pray for it even now, we trust that if this place prospers, we will prosper. We pray that in 70 years, the Bay Area would be a place, or in seven years, the Bay Area would be a place that is so filled with the glory of God that it is a beautiful and prosperous and equitable place for all who live here, that it will give us a glimpse of the kingdom. And we pray that we would take part in that as you revive our spirits and put us on mission to serve the world in which you've placed us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.